Cause sometimes I be right. Hello. Welcome back. For the first time listeners, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I am your host, John Farris. We got a good one today. Full transparency. Uh, this is my second time recording today. I recorded a whole show. And, uh, you know, the wonderful world of technology. File got corrupted. I went in to go make some edits. Sure enough, it was deleted. So, we back to start over. And I know some of you are like, oh, we're going to get a poor quality. Actually, because it got deleted, that extra time it took, I was able to gather myself a little bit. Right? Get my notes together, plan things out a little better. This is going to be a really good show. So I thank y'all for joining me. Reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host Wally. Say what's up, Wally. We got a real good show today, man. Real good show. So, so, listen. I think I figured it out. I think I figured out a way to take college football and get it to overtake the NFL in popularity in the U.S. That's right. I said it. I think I figured it out. I cracked the code. We're going to get into that later, though. We're going to get into that later. So, starting off, I want to start off with some uh, some quick hits. You know, some some little things that kind of popped up throughout the week that I don't need to spend too much time on or dive deep into. But I just I wanted to address, give my thoughts, my opinions. So first, I want to I want to start with this whole uh, Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury thing that's going back and forth. They're having a little back and forth for any of you who don't know, who have missed it. Jake Paul is saying that he's offered him three different contracts, three different offers Latest one being an offer for a million dollars to fight. Tommy Fury said it's not worth his time to get out of bed for that. Ah, look, man. Here, here's why it's on my radar. Here's why it's something that I'm even giving any mental space to. Okay, It's because I don't like when people present things one way and pretend that what they're doing is A... When we know what's really going on behind the scenes, right? So Jake Paul, before he fought Tyron Woodley, signed a three-fight deal with Showtime, right? And part of that, in my opinion, must have been that he would have to fight three fights of some consequence, meaning the opponents would have to be some level of skill and they can't just be youtubers or really really washed up mma guys they had to be someone who can kind of generate some sort of interest in the fight in order for them to make their money right so i don't i don't know if he would have even fought tyron woodley in that fight if it weren't from some pressure from showtime i do think that they were kind of like hey yeah it's a little risky but Take it. It's doable, right? So if you're Showtime, you think we're getting this guy that's generating a bunch of interest. We're going to dish out a bunch of money to host these events. 
and then we need an opponent that's at least going to generate enough interest and revenue and, and pay-per-view buys that we can make our money back, right? That's a business move. They're a legit network, right? They host legit boxing events throughout the year. They're not stooping down to a Triller level. No disrespect to Triller, but your events are kind of trash, right? They're kind of like sideshow trash, right? Listen, we don't know. Tiafimo Lopez fight is coming up. That's going to be a real show me event. If they put on a legit event, you might have a start to something. If they continue to do what they've been doing, having a bunch of music events or a bunch of sideshow fights that like, ugh. Come on, like they let it end their Holyfield fight, man. That Why? Why would you do that? Ugh. Don't get me started with them. Maybe another time. But not right now. Right now, we're going we're gonna to stick with the Jake Paul. So what Jake Paul's doing is masquerading as if he's offering his million dollars to Tommy Fury to fight. I got a million dollars for you. I'm giving you the biggest payday of your life. No, you're not giving anything. Showtime is. Right? The promoters are. Right? It's not coming out of your pocket. That would be bad business. Who's doing that? And because of that, I don't think Jake Paul wants this fight. I don't think Jake Paul's team wants this fight. I think Showtime is making it as close to mandatory without making it mandatory. And so he knows that. Because after the Tyron Woodley fight, if you remember, he dismissed Tommy Fury. Shrugged it off like, nah, nothing. Not worth my time. Now all of a sudden... He's making three offers, right? And Tommy Fury's not dumb. They put Tommy Fury on that undercard last minute, really last minute, like the week before last minute. And Fury knows that that's what Showtime wants because Showtime's thinking, hey, we need to make our money. You got exposed a little bit with Tyron Woodley. He exposed that your boxing is weak. When it, in comparison to people who know how to fight and box. In that realm, you're weak against Ben Askren's, against Nate Robinson's, against other YouTubers. You're probably strong. But in this field, you're weak. So people have lost interest in seeing you fight just YouTubers and, and retired NBA players or retired football players or actors or musicians. No, we want to see you fight a boxer now. Because the people who hate Jake Paul want him to fight a boxer so he could lose and we can move on with our lives. And people that like Jake Paul kind of need him to fight a boxer so that he can prove them right. And Showtime knows that that's going to generate the biggest bank. And Tommy Fury knows that, which is why he's not running and hiding Jake Paul. Not running and hiding Jake Paul fans. Not trying to price himself out of the fight, Jake Paul fans. But he's negotiating. He's saying, hey, your, your financial backers want me. I'm what you need. I'm not just going to accept whatever offer you send across my table. I'm not going to agree to any terms you set up because I don't need to fight you. Tommy Fury is a boxer. He's fighting boxers. He's moving up the boxing ranks. He's aiming at a boxing world title. This is a pit stop for him. This is a sideshow for him. 
This is a quick payday for him. He don't need, if this doesn't happen, his reputation is never affected by this. So what he's saying is you can offer me whatever you think I'm worth, but I, I here's what I want. And if you're not going to give me this and it's not worth my time to take this detour, you're taking me off my path. I'm not getting taken off my path for nothing and not for just a million dollars when I can get more. I agree with him. I like the move. I like the strategy because don't less don't diminish yourself to make it seem like this guy is the A side. The A side of what? What we're talking about is a sideshow. What we're talking about is a guy who's never fought a boxer. So you want me, someone who's been fighting boxers, who has aspirations in boxing as a real boxer, to fight this guy and he's the A-side? Get out of here. He could be the A-side on paper. He could come out second. He could do all that. Fine. But he's not. I'm not letting him dictate all the terms of the fight. No way. I'm not mad at that. And the fight doesn't happen because of that. Hey, listen. Jake Paul and all his fans could run around saying that, ooh, Tommy Fury was scared. We offered him. We offered him. He didn't take the fight. Come on, man. Real fight fans and smart fight fans understand what's happening. It's posturing. It's negotiating. You're making it and lowballing it so that he turns down the deal so that he looks like the guy who's running and hiding. But we know the truth. And that's all that matters. My second, my second thing I want to touch on just real quick is uh, I, I did something I know I shouldn't have done. I engaged in Instagram comments with people who say outlandish things, who are clearly mistaken, who are clearly wrong. I did it. I was bored and I commented, I responded to somebody. Yep. So news came out that CJ Stroud is going to be resting this week versus Akron. He injured his throwing shoulder last week. And so they're, they're giving him rest, and he'll only play if it's an emergency situation, meaning if all their other quarterbacks get injured, he can go in. Translation, either one of two things. Either you believe, A, he's not really that hurt, but why push him when you're going against Akron? We could win without him. So let him rest a little extra. Or B, we want to see if there's some... If there's other guys on the roster better because we're not really sold on this guy. And this is a way to let him sit for a game without embarrassing him. I tend to believe it's A. Because they saw all these guys in camp. They saw them in the spring game. They saw them in practice every day and they decided this guy was our guy. They saw him in game one and decided game two, you're the starter. Saw him in game two and decided game three, you're the starter. So I don't think they've given up on him. I don't think that they want to see these guys because they want to replace him. I think it really is, let's rest him in this game. We don't need him to win. And let's let these other guys get a chance because, hey, maybe. And look, I've been defending CJ Stroud because I've, I've noticed a lot of hate towards him and a lot of fans. And this is what prompted me to respond because a lot of people saw this and said, finally, oh, thank God, bring him a cord. Kyle McCord, five-star, out of Pennsylvania, freshman. But again, you know, oh my God. So I'm getting ahead of myself. So this guy comes out and says, 
I don't think Ryan Day is is ready to be Ohio State's head coach. I don't I don't think he's ready to handle that level. And it's like I just slapped myself in the forehead, and I know you guys are probably thinking the same thing. Like wouldn't would a dum dum? I try not I try not to call the fans dum dums because listen we are Buckeye Nation right we are we together in this I'm with you bro you a fellow fan I'm a fan I'm with you but when you say things like that you just you look like a dum dum two years as Ohio State head coach we are one mistake away from back-to-back national championship appearances. That's what this coach has done. And he's 2-1 and one in three games this year. And there's nothing to say that they won't make it to the Big Ten championship game and win another Big Ten championship. There's nothing to say they won't make it to the college football final. Right? They, they might make it to the playoffs, win, get into the championship again. And this would be back-to-back, which would make them one costly mistake away from being to three straight national championships. That's what this coach is doing. That's what's in front of him. And you want to say you don't think he's ready for this after. I, I don't even. I, You know what? I won't go any further because it's a dumb, dumb comment. It's a dumb, dumb opinion. And I'm not, I'm not going to support it anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to go with it anymore. I'm not even going to entertain it. Unbelievable. So let's, so I'll, I'll use that to transition into recapping Ohio State versus, versus Tulsa, right? So a couple things from the game. The defense still needs work, man. I know they made some changes Different guys calling the plays. Uh, defensive coordinator put up in the box. I know they're making changes. It's one game. It's it's hard to say anything after one game, whether it's it's better or worse or the same. They still need a lot of work, though. They, they still need to grow. And it's possible. I, I don't think that come week 12, it'll look the same. I don't know if it'll be better or worse. I, I imagine it's going to get better because there's too much talent, right? The recruiting has been too good, but the, the issue still seems to be the pressure. They got a little more pressure on Saturday against Tulsa. And when they did that, you saw interceptions. You saw uh, plays, plays for loss. You saw, you saw the defense look better. They looked good when they got pressure. And I think that's what they need to do. They need to get pressure. They need to figure out a way to get pressure. The other takeaway is, man, Travion Henderson is a good running back, man. He's a good back. He's a real good back. He was a five-star coming out, top running back in the class. And you see that so many times and you think, ah, whatever. You watch his highlights, right? Again, back to what we all do as fans. We all heard the name. We saw the commitment. We went to YouTube and watched the highlights. And this guy was breaking off. 90-yard runs every time, just running past everybody. And you're like, all right, he's going to be amazing. And then you get to college, and you're like, nah, it's different in college. He's not going to do that in college. And then he gets in college, and you see that burst. He's got a gear, man, and he kicks it into that gear so fast. If they block it up a little bit, he's he's going. 
He's gone. He's gone. He's gonzo. I I like him a lot. And that got me to thinking this year might be a year where they need to adjust. And I know they want to be spread wide open, throw the ball all over the place, big plays. I know. I think they might be best served trying to adopt a little bit of the trestle ball. You guys remember Jim Trestle? Right? That they were focused on running the ball, right? Eating clock, playing good special teams, playing sound defense. I think that's the way they gotta go. I think this defense, at least right now, is struggling. And so what they need is if the offense could run the ball and control the clock, that would help them a lot. That would keep them off the field. And if they're controlling the clock and scoring points, it puts a lot of pressure on the opposing offense. And they're going to either feel rushed or they're going to get out of their game plan and become one-dimensional, making it easier for you to say, we're going to attack this. Like, let's say you get the ball. You march down the field. You eat up six and a half minutes. You score a touchdown. You kick it off. That team now is going to come down and run the regular offense, right? It's first quarter. Run your game plan. No need to panic. Let's say you get a stop. You get the ball back. You go down. You score again. It's now 14-0. Game plan thrown out the window. The other team says, we're down two scores. <sighs> They're eating clock. They're running all over us. We got we to gotta go for it. Now you know keying on the pass. Now you can send blitzers. Now you could tell those defensive linemen, you don't have to worry about the run. Just pin your ears back. Boom, go after the quarterback. It's going to make your job a lot easier. It might, it might lead to a better result on defense. And if you're playing sound special teams, it's trestle ball, man. I think that might be the way to go with that. I think that might be the route they should go this year. At least for right now until things kind of get together. Right? Until they kind of gel and figure it out the defense kind of finds their footing and might that might be the way to go and rack up these w's man if you're winning games even if it's ugly you're getting to the point in your schedule where you're going to start playing ranked teams and even if you win those ugly they're wins against ranked teams nobody can knock that and when it comes down to the playoff selection you're gonna have to say yo look at their wins even if it was ugly a win is a win Right. So now I was also thinking during that game and after, I'm glad this podcast hasn't exploded yet. I'm glad it's not all over the place and I don't have people coming after me based on what I say because I've been a defender of CJ Stroud. And in that game, it was rough. It was rough. And let me just start this by saying I don't have a problem with Jack Miller or Kyle McCord. I don't think that there's anything wrong with them. I'm not saying that they aren't the guy. I'm not saying that they can't come in and play. What I'm fighting against and why I'm defending CJ Stroud is because we live in a time where everyone is so quick to make a decision and a determination on something or someone immediately. Three games into the year has... has C.J. Stroud done anything that makes you feel like he shouldn't be the quarterback of Ohio State. I don't think he has. So if you're the starter, okay, there's no way 
there's no way you should feel like I should lose my job based on what I've done. I don't think he's done anything to lose it. And that's what I'm defending is give the kid a chance to lose the job. Like, listen, if they were one and two right now and he was struggling, I would say, yo, we might need to make it. He might not be the guy. You guys might have got this one wrong. But all the coaches had these guys in camp and said this was the best guy. He brings something to the table that's better than them. He's ready to lead this team now. They are not. Now, again, Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, probably going to get a chance. They're going to both play in this game probably against Akron. I imagine this game is not going to be very close. It's not going to be entertaining unless you're an Ohio State fan. And you can't really evaluate these two quarterbacks in this game. Because with C.J. Stroud, they're probably still favored by 40-plus points. And they're going to be favored in that way with whoever is back there at quarterback. So if they go out and they have a great day, both of them, you're not going to say, oh, they should continue to play instead of C.J. Stroud because they haven't played the competition that he has even thus far. They didn't play against Oregon and they didn't play against Minnesota on the road on a Thursday night opening the season in their first start. Their first start is coming at home at night against Akron, who hasn't won yet. I'm sorry. Do they have a win? I think they have a win against Bryant last week. Who's Bryant? Is that a person? <laughs> what they play? Was it a guy playing by himself? I've never heard of Brian. No disrespect to the school. No disrespect to them. But we're talking about big boy football here. So that's the only thing I'm saying. Like, I support all of these quarterbacks. I like all three of them. I think all three of them are good dudes. I think all three of them can play. But when they named CJ Stroud the starter, I said, yo... I got you. I'm supporting you. This is our starter. And he hasn't done anything to me to say he should lose it. I think what I'm realizing is that Ohio State fans are incredibly spoiled. Myself included. But I've taken a step back this year to say, listen, you're not going to get to a championship every year. You're not going to make the college football playoff every year. There's going to be some years where you're going to have new guys coming in that they just not going to have the same sauce. You're going to have a year where you might go 10 and 2, 9 and 3, just make it to a bowl game. And that's cool. As a fan, that's cool. You got to accept those years. Because the last couple years, man, we've been in national championship conversations. And if you have a year where we just not going to be there, okay. And I'm taking it game by game. I'm not looking at, we lost to Oregon. Season's over. The sky is falling. Oh my God, we lost the game. Like, no, it happens, man. It happens. Should it have happened? No. Some people think that it's CJ Stroud's fault that they lost. And I'm not one of those. I think the defense performed poorly. So what I did was I said, man, we must be spoiled. Why is that? So I went back to the last three quarterbacks for Ohio State. This Now, this goes back to 2014, right? The only quarterback not listed is is uh, Cardell Jones because he, even when he started in 2015, it was kind of a duel. Like, they went, they shared time. So, I, I'm not going to say, like, so it's hard to evaluate him in his first three games or whatever. But I'm going back. Okay, so I'm going back to JT Barrett in 2014 
in his first three starts. And I'm going to look at the last three quarterbacks in their first three starts for Ohio State and see what they did. And see how C.J. Stroud compares to that. And see if he's so far inferior to them that he should be replaced. Okay? Okay, so in 2014, J.T. Barrett came in and started. In his first three games, J.T. Barrett went 2-1. and one. He had a 58% completion percentage, threw for 789 yards, nine passing touchdowns, and five interceptions in three games. Does anybody remember how that season went in 2014? Oh, that's right. That's right. It was the only game they lost, and they went on and won the national championship. And in that season, he was he was considered for a Heisman. He didn't make the finalist, but he got injured in the last game against Michigan. And then couldn't play in the Big Ten title game. But if you look at the season totals in that year, it got better from that 2-1 start. And they went on to win a national championship. CJ Stroud currently two and one. But maybe you think, ah, that's JT Barrett. He wasn't the best. He turned out to be a really good quarterback for Ohio State. Set a lot of records. Right? I think we would all agree JT Barrett was, was pretty good. We all like we we don't have a problem with the JT Barrett error. Okay. He passed the baton to Dwayne Haskins. Who in his first three starts, he was three and zero. He was completing 75%. He was real good. 1,044 yards, 12 passing touchdowns, and only one interception. He got off hot. He was impressive. And we all liked him. We said he's a really good quarterback. He sliced up Michigan, and we loved him for it. Went on to get drafted in the first round. Pretty early, too. He's a good quarterback. He passed the baton then to Justin Fields, who in his first three games went 3-0, 70% completion percentage, 684 yards, nine touchdowns, and no picks. He did have three fumbles, but we're not, we're not counting fumbles. Right? We're not going to look at that. We're going, that's fine. You running the ball, that happens. No big deal, man. You're a quarterback. So C.J. Stroud this year is 2-1, completing 62%, 963 yards, Eight touchdowns, three picks. Okay. So in comparison, comparing him to the last three, he's got the second most yards. His completion percentage is third. He's got one less touchdown than Justin Fields and JT Barrett in their first. And he's got three interceptions where the other two of them only threw one. Both of them drafted very high. One of them, Justin Fields, is going to be starting this Sunday. Some people think he should have been starting from the jump for the Bears. Right? Some people considered him the second best quarterback coming out in the draft. So if we're comparing him to these guys, if I told you your quarterback was going to complete 62%, throw for over 900 yards, eight touchdowns in three games, you're going to say bench him? I think just in the vacuum, you wouldn't say bench him. That's not a guy that needs to get benched. But 
the difference is that one loss. That one loss. It looks bad. Because Ohio State fans, we're spoiled. We're not used to losing. We don't lose games. And we don't lose games at home. And most of us didn't pay that close attention to Oregon to think if they're any good or not. So we think we should have beat Oregon. And so he lost. And we we didn't convert on fourth down. There were drives we didn't score a touchdown. Listen, that happens. What's the expectation? He's a preseason. He's on the watch list preseason Heisman. And people will say, oh, whoever was quarterback was going to be there. It's because what's around him. But what has he done to say that he doesn't deserve to still be on the watch list for someone who could potentially win the Heisman? He's number 10 in yards in the country. He's 13th in touchdowns in the country in three games. If he plays against Akron, do we have any doubt that he might throw five, six touchdowns? Now what do his numbers look like? And that's what I'm saying. Give it time. And if these guys come in, if Kyle McCord comes in on Saturday and torches Akron, I'm not going to say he should be the starter. And if the coaches say this is your starter, I'm not going to be mad. Because you're the coach. You make the decision. Hey, man, I'm going to go with you. I'm, I'm a fan. Who am I to say that you're wrong? But what I am going to say is, as fans, I will never believe that C.J. Stroud deserved to be benched. No, I don't think he did. If you say, it's not that you deserve to be benched, but this guy we feel could be better, then fine, so be it. But I don't think he's done anything to lose his job. And that's just where I stand on it. All right, man, let's, let's transition over talk about the Cowboys a little bit Cowboys Chargers listen man I I thought the Cowboys would lose and they won right I thought they would lose and they won and I'm glad I might not sound like I'm happy I sound like I'm not happy about it right look what they I just sometimes I'd be right man sometimes I'd be right I came in here after week one and I said they need to run the ball Run the ball. That's your bread and butter. That's how you're going to win games. And guess what? They won a 20-17 to game. The defense looked a lot better than they had been looking against a very good offense. That Chargers offense is good, man. Justin Justin Herbert, he's a good quarterback. Good quarterback, man. Slinging it. Impressive arm, man. Effortless. Lasers. All over the place. I like him. But you run the ball, control the clock, give your defense some rest. And there you go. They can come out and be fresh. Instead of you going three and out because you want to throw the ball to prove that your quarterback is worth $40 million a year. That ship is sailed, man. That's money spent. Stop trying to prove it. Some people were never going to think Dak Prescott should make $40 million a year. I am one of them. I don't dislike the guy, but highest paid quarterback? Nah, that's not you. But I get that that's how it works in the NFL. Whoever's next up, they set the market. 
And the next guy that's going to get paid is going to get paid way more and probably isn't worth it either. But that's the way it goes. I like Dak Prescott. I like his attitude. He's just the right amount of arrogant. You know? I'm. This is going to sound corny. But he's brave. <laughs> With the full, Like, he makes throws. Like, he's not afraid to try to go for it, to make that throw. Even if he can't. Even if his his arm strength isn't good enough, he's going. He's 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 willing to try it, to try to get that win, man. He's just trying to win, and I think the game plan they they executed was run the ball. And what you found out was you got two good running backs. You got two, and a running game travels. It's cold, it's wet, rainy, snowy. That running game is going to work, and you got two guys now. Imagine what they could do if you put both of them in the backfield. Fake to one, toss it to the other. Have one motion out to receiver. Like, what are they doing? Like, the the matchups you can create with both of those guys is incredible. And that's what you've figured out you have. Is you have that flexibility now. And that's all I was saying from week one. So I'm glad that they did that. I'm glad that they showed that. Because now, hopefully, they learn, let's just play this way. It works. It works. In 2016 and 2014, two best years you've had in 20 years, what were you doing? Running the ball. Leading the NFL in rushing. It works. This is how you built your team. You've got a big, strong offensive line. Paying them a lot of money. Run the ball. Run behind them. And then you pass off of that. It's going to make your life a whole lot easier. You're going to win a bunch of games. Win it ugly. Who cares, man? Win. And the defense is getting turnovers. They're aggressively attacking the ball. Whether that's going for the pick or whether that's punching the ball when the guy's running with it. There's a pile. Somebody's always ripping or punching at the ball. They're going to get a lot of turnovers. And if that happens, you control the clock. You're going to put so much pressure on the opposing team. They're going to continue to make mistakes. You're going to continue to pile up turnovers. You're going to continue to win games. And guess where that's going to lead you? Right to the playoffs. And guess where that's going to lead you? Right to a Super Bowl. Cowboys back on top as champs. They could do it, man. They got the talent to do it. They just need to have the patience to play that way. Play smart. Again, they got to do trestle ball. Are they going to be willing to do it? Nah, that's a different story. So there wasn't really much to take away from that game because that's what I thought they would be. That's what I thought they could do. So I'm not surprised. I wasn't impressed. I was like, please, do that. Now this next week, there's a lot. There's a lot to look into. They got the Monday night game. Division foe. You know what I mean? Are they going to come out and try to throw the ball all over the place? Are they going to come out and run the ball? And and work off of that? It's yet to be seen. And the quarterback they're going to be going against is Jalen Hurts. And now... 
thinking of Jalen Hurts brings me to something else. I really want to talk about something that I've been noticing is player evaluation. I remember a time where players were evaluated based on traits, right? And to a degree, other positions get evaluated on your traits. Height, weight, speed, shuttle, hand size, arm length, all of that stuff. You get judged by all of that. And that's how it used to be with quarterbacks. Your arm strength, your accuracy, right? Your pro day, your combines, your private workouts, all of that stuff would influence and and get you a grade. What I've noticed lately is that a lot of quarterbacks now are not being judged off of those things and, and intangibles and measurables and traits and they're being measured off of success at the college level. Have a lot of success, high draft stock. Doesn't matter if we if it translates. It no longer matters. Like, do you remember uh, when Colt Brennan in Hawaii was thrown for all those yards and touchdowns, setting records? He wasn't drafted high. Because they said, oh, look, he's small. His arm's not really that strong. And they were right. All of those things were right to say it's not going to translate into being a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Remember when Colt McCoy of Texas said the same thing? It's a little small. His arm's not that great. It's not going to translate to being a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And they were right. He's a great backup. You need him for a game or two to come in, he's going to hold it down. He's tough as nails. But are you going to draft him number one? Nah. You know what they're doing now? Whoever has the best season in college football is who they're drafting number one. They're just taking that guy. Don't believe me? Okay, you're skeptical. You think I'm you think I'm just exaggerating, I'm being crazy. Okay. Okay, I got two players in the last two drafts that I'll um I'll use as my examples. Joe Burrow. I love Joe Burrow. I said coming out, he's by far the best quarterback coming out. I said he's best quarterback in college football. He's going to be the best pro. Like, he's got it, right? Coming into his last year in 2019, 2019 with LSU, he was projected to be about a fifth or sixth round player. Then he has a Hall of Fame season, right? I'm sorry, Hall of Fame, (laughs) idiot. He (laughs) He has a Heisman season. Right? Puts up crazy numbers, sets all kinds of records. All of a sudden, he's number one pick. I'm sorry. Does arm strength improve dramatically to go from a sixth round to a a number one? Not from the sixth round to the first round. No, he went to the number one pick. Was Was his arm strength better? Was his accuracy better? Was his height, did, it, did he get taller? Did he, did he put on more weight? What changed to go from, hey, in August, that's a six-round guy, right, to now come April, he's a number one pick, best player in the draft. What changed? I'll tell you what changed. He had a Heisman season. He had a record-breaking season. He had incredible success. Now, all of a sudden, you looked at him different. You know when I looked at him different? 
when he was at Ohio State in spring games, he was throwing deep balls perfect. And I even said to my brothers, yo, they got this guy, Joe Burrow, on the bench. Yo, he's nice. And then he transferred. Went to LSU and I said, yo, he's going to be good. He's going to be good over there. He's going to be the best quarterback they've ever had. And then his first year, a little up and down. Right? But in that bowl game, I believe they were going against UCF. I think it was UCF. He throws an interception. He's going to try to make the tackle. He gets clocked. He gets cleaned out off his feet. Blindside block. Boom. Laid him out. He's he's rolling around on the ground in pain. You can look it up on YouTube. Rolling around in pain. You know what he does? He gets right back up. Fixes his helmet. Gets himself together. Comes out. Starts throwing touchdowns. Boom. And you know what he does? Because after he got hit, the guy's standing over him. Trash talking, right? He starts throwing touchdowns. He goes right back to that guy. Gets in his face. Starts trash talking him. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah, he's that kind of guy. You got that kind of fire, the feisty attitude. Yeah. And you nice. Yeah. Yeah, he ain't no punk. He ain't going to get punked. And I like that. And that's when I was like, yo, that's the guy. Watch this guy. If he would have came out that year, I would have said, take him with the number one pick. That's your quarterback. That's your franchise quarterback. He went back to college, and then he put up that season, and everyone else was now all of a sudden on board. Now all of a sudden, he was a number one worthy pick. Ain't nothing changed. He just had more success. Things around him were better. The coaching staff was better. The play calling was a little better. It was just his year. He just had a great year. He was just as capable the year before. Things just didn't fall that way. You're not. They didn't evaluate him based on those measurables. They evaluated him based on it, what he did, his accomplishments, the production. Now, I understand you need both, but what I'm saying is there was always a knock on, like even Oklahoma quarterbacks were saying that system is set up so well. Like ugh. There were questions about Patrick Mahomes coming into the NFL because he played at Texas Tech. And Texas Tech historically has quarterbacks that don't translate to the NFL. That's why he was questioned. Otherwise, if you look at the talent, the talent is the same. The arm strength is the same. The athletic ability is the same. The height, weight, the same. What changed? What changed is he was at Texas Tech. We don't believe in those quarterbacks, so draft him if you want to. You know what Andy Reid said? I don't care where he's coming from. Look at his ability. And he drafted him, groomed him for a year, put him in there, boom, look what you got. Now he's considered the best player, the best quarterback in the NFL, the most talented quarterback in the NFL. He was that coming out of college. You just didn't believe it because you looked at the success and judged it based off of, ah, that's Texas Tech. They always do that. Another guy, you want another example? Zach Wilson from BYU. Before last year, before he had like 75% completion percentage, he wasn't picked to go in the first three rounds. He was a fourth or fifth round quarterback. Same arm talent. Everything you praised him for was the same. You know what changed? He had a really good final season. It made everybody say, oh, wait, wait. This guy's really good. And the Jets said, do we want to be the team that passes on him? 
There's no way he should have been drafted before Justin Fields. No way. Chats, you made a mistake. Justin Fields should have been your pick. Now, not saying Zach Wilson's not good. Not saying he doesn't deserve to be a first rounder. Not saying that he wasn't misevaluated when they said he was a fourth or fifth rounder. What I'm saying is if he was a fourth or fifth rounder in August, you can't tell me that come April, all of a sudden he's dramatically better. He didn't improve that much in six months. What changed was you were judging him based off of his numbers and his production rather than his actual talent and ability. Because we all know a guy who can play in a bad situation but be really good and say if you put him on a better team, he's going to do well. He's good. The team around him is bad. What do you want him to do? We all know that guy. We all know of a player that's been like that, right? Like, we've all seen it before. We're like, no, oh, the, the team around him is bad. You know who they make excuses for? Guys that they like. If they like you, oh, they'll say it's not you. The team is bad. Not you, though. If they don't like you, they're going to say it's you, not the team. That you should be good enough to make everybody around you better. Oh, my God. Don't make me sick. I hate when people say that. Ugh. Yuck. Same thing happened with Dak Prescott. Everyone thinks that there's something so impressive now about Prescott. This is who he was in college. The difference was in college, he was at Mississippi State. Right? There's a difference between them and NFL talent. There wasn't a lot of guys that was on his team that year that got drafted. Do you know what I mean? The talent level wasn't the same. Now he's playing with very with other really talented players, and you can see him use his skill set, his ability to perform. And there's so there's countless players in the league that you can point to to say, I think scouts and I think media are starting to get lazy and starting to look at production to decide who's good and who's a top prospect coming out. Because Justin Herbert was considered to be the first overall draft pick in the preseason mock drafts, right? Coming into his last year. You know what happened? He had a bad final season. His final season wasn't very good. You know what happened? His draft stock plummeted. All of a sudden, he was no longer that draft prospect. Why? Did his ability go away? The same ability you said he should have been the first pick he had that same ability at the end of the year, but you didn't think all of a sudden he was worth that pick anymore because he didn't have a good season. Now you tell me if they're still judging it off of your talent. So when they start saying how talented somebody is, what do you mean? He's the most talented quarterback in the NFL. What does that mean? They never say the most talented player is on the worst team. You ever notice that? Go to any sport. Look at any sport and see when they start talking about the most talented player, how often that guy is on the worst team in the league. Never. It's always on the best team. I'm just saying, man. They're judging talent based off of results and not based off of what talent actually is. Your ability to do something how naturally you do something that's talent 
That's talent. Talent has nothing to do with results. I'm talented when I go into the game. I'm talented when I come out of the game. My results are something different. Now, I might be very talented, but not be very good. Because in order to be good, you have to be smart. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know this, know the playbook. I might just be out there running around wild and be talented. My talent, still, I'm still talented. I still have a cannon for an arm. I still have quick feet. I still have the ability to get in and out of my break. I still have natural hands. I still can jump out of the gym. That's talent. That doesn't, whether I play well or not, doesn't change the fact that I have that talent. So when you look at all these rookies this year, starting to look like rookies, how they always looked in the NFL, because we had a string of guys that were coming in and were very successful early. And they said, oh, college football is played at such a high level that it prepares them for the league so they no longer they no longer come in unequipped and unready to play. They come in ready to hit the ground running. Well, this year, it's not so much. Now, some people are going to say, oh, it's because last year was COVID and they didn't have a full season and it was kind of weird and they have to adjust now. And it's, I get that. It could be. I kind of just believe that the case is you judge these guys off of the season they had and not their talent. And some of these guys aren't as talented as you thought. And they're not as good as you thought. Like you, they praise Trevor Lawrence as being the best prospect since Andrew Luck. Which would make him the second best prospect since John Elway. That's, that's high praise. How much of that was based on the success he was having at Clemson? Clemson, which is having a great run and a great track record of recruiting top talent. He's surrounded by a really good roster. Look how many of those guys are getting drafted every year on offense and defense. And that's where he went to. But because he beat Alabama... Because he beat Ohio State. Oh. Oh, he's he's it. And now he's struggling in the league. Why? Because he's used to having the most talented team on the field every week. And now he doesn't have that. So now, because you think, oh, he completed 68%. How many of those passes were actually accurate? And how many of those were the receiver being wide open? How many of those were a receiver being wide open he could just throw it to? How many of those were the little bubble screens he could just dupe toss out there? How many of those throws over the middle he threw it a little bit behind the receiver, but the receiver was able to reach back and make a catch? In the NFL, those windows are tighter. You have to be a little more accurate. Now you have to actually show accuracy, anticipation, things you didn't have to in college. That adjustment is real, and that's the adjustment these guys have to make. And the expectation was, oh, they could do it because look at his completion percentage in college. That's, but that's a results-based thing. That doesn't determine accuracy. Not, not flawlessly, because in college especially, there's a lot of wide-open guys. There's a lot of bubble screens. There's a lot of screen passes. There's a lot of bad corners who are never going to make it to the NFL. This is the NFL now. 
Now you need to show accuracy. And it's probably going to take you a year or two to get that speed down, to get that timing down, and that's fine. But the reason why everyone seems to be like, why are the quarterbacks struggling this year? Hmm, I wonder why. It's because you're evaluating based on results, not based on talent or skill level. All right, so let's get into this. My my master plan. This is like this is honestly probably the most foolproof thing I've ever ever devised. Right? This is this is the master plan. Listen, this is the thing that you should take, share, post, copy everywhere, tag whoever's important in it so they can see it. Because I think this is a perfect plan. A perfect solution to a problem college football has had, okay? So number one, this all started on Saturday when you had Auburn travel to Penn State on a Saturday night, a whiteout at Penn State. It was amazing. It was one, The atmosphere was incredible. And the atmosphere for college football is so incredible at all of these big games, right? You watch it on TV and it's electric. A big play happens, people go crazy. It's 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 like a Super Bowl. Now imagine if you could have that multiple times a Saturday, every Saturday. Would you sign up for that? Absolutely. Now the NFL, all of my friends prefer the NFL over college. I, I personally prefer college football over the NFL. I love, love college football. I watch that game. I have no rooting interest. I don't care either way. And I was riveted. It was it was awesome. Because the atmosphere, right? College provides that. But all of my friends always say the thing they don't like about college football is that you got so many blowouts. The games aren't even close. They're not interesting. Nobody wants to watch it. It's boring. Me personally, if it's Ohio State playing Michigan, give me the blowout. Oh, I watched them blow out Michigan all. Oh, <laughs> Or if it's Ohio State playing anybody, give me the blowout. Right? But I understand where they're coming from because you do have a lot of games like Alabama versus Mercer. That's a blowout. The Citadel, they always get blown out. And you always have these these odd games where these big teams play these lesser teams and end up blowing them out. And it's, it's not fun. It's not interesting. Those litter the schedule every Saturday, right? Okay, so how do you fix that? How do you solve that? How do you do something about that? I have the plan. I have it. I have it figured out. So number one, we're going to start by expanding the playoff. Right? My new my new scheduling remix, I guess, <laughs> for college football is going to it's going to make it really hard to pick just four teams to go into a playoff. Why? Because there's there's not going to be those undefeated teams anymore. There's not going to be those one-loss teams. There's going to be a lot more two- and three-loss teams. Because everyone's going to be playing a better, more competitive schedule. You're going to have more tight games, more close losses. It's going to be awesome for the fans. But for the committee, it's going to be a lot harder to choose just four teams. Right? So we expanded to eight. You can convince me of six. That's fine. I'm fine with six or eight. 
I'm flexible in that way. This other portion, though, not flexible. So let's get into it. So college football in Division One is essentially broken up into two categories. Right now, they have the Power Five conferences, right? The Power Five. And that consists of the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC, right? Power Five. ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12, SEC. Then you have six other conferences that are lesser, right? They're looked at as lesser. The Power Five are the big boys. The other ones are the American Athletic Conference, the Conference USA, the MAC, the Mountain West, and the Sun Belt, right? And then you have the independents, the teams that are independent, that are not a part of any conference in college football, right? So I've broken it up into those three categories. Now, the problem we have here is everyone believes the SEC is the strongest of all conferences. Therefore, those teams get weighted higher than someone like, let's say, who plays in the MAC or the Mountain West, right? So when you get down to saying, all right, we have a committee to choose what team is what, you have a Cincinnati who plays in the American Athletic Conference, they're not going to get the same love. Even if they're undefeated, they're not going to get the same love as Auburn's going to get if they're a one-loss SEC team. They're going to pick Auburn every time. And if Alabama also has one loss, they're taking both of them. Right? So how do you get rid of that, like, bias when it comes to trying to pick a national champion? Okay. Well, we're going to separate into three categories. You have the Power Five, you have the Non-Power Five, and then you have the Indies. Okay? Each team and all three, we'll call them conferences, even though the independents are independents, everyone plays a 12-game schedule. Okay. The Power Five and the Non-Power Five, they both play a 12-game schedule plus one conference championship. So if you get to the conference championship game, you'll play 13 games. If you don't, you'll only play 12. But Power Five and the Non-Power Five both have 12 regular season games and then a conference championship. The Independents, since there's no conference, you, pay, you play an extra game. So you play a guaranteed 13-game schedule. Right. Okay. So here's how it works. In the Power Five, you get eight conference games. Right. So if you're a part of the Power Five conferences, you will get eight conference games. Every one of them. You also have to play one Power Five opponent on the road and one Power Five opponent at home you also have to play one of the non power five conference teams and you have to play one independent every year that's right no more scheduling week non-conference games no more scheduling uh these division one double a teams no more of that that's out that's out 
And I'm going to give you an example of kind of like how a schedule would be using like Ohio State as the template. I'll give you like an example of what that would look like. Okay, so if you play, so let me repeat that. If you play in the Power Five, a Power Five conference, you play eight conference games, one Power Five team at home, one Power Five team away, one non-Power Five conference opponent, and one independent opponent. If you play in a non-Power Five conference, you get the same eight conference games, but you also have to pay play one Power Five opponent at home, one Power Five opponent away, and here's the difference, one Power Five opponent home and or away. Okay? Let me repeat that. Let me repeat that. If you play in a non-Power Five conference, you play eight conference games, one Power Five team at home, one Power Five team away, one Power Five team that alternates one year it'll be home, one year it'll be away. And then you play one independent. Now, the only difference between the two is if you're a non-Power 5 team, you have to play one additional Power 5 opponent. Okay? If you're an independent, you have to play six Power 5 opponents, five non-Power 5 opponents, and you play two games against a fellow independent team. Does that make sense? Did I lose anybody? Okay. So let me go into it and kind of give you an example. Let's use Ohio State because that's my favorite team. So let's use Ohio State. So they would play eight games in the Big Ten. Eight games against Big Ten opponents. They would have to play one Power 5 team at home and a Power 5 team away. Now, your conference opponents don't count as that Power 5 team. So how this would work is... Every year, you'd be responsible for playing a different Power 5 conference. For example, if this started in 2024, Ohio State in 2024 would play the SEC. So their two Power 5 games, home and away, would come against SEC opponents. The next year in 25, they would play the Big 12. In 26, they would play the Pac-12. And in 27, they would play the ACC. And then in 28, they will go back to the SEC. So every four years, you'd be playing two non-conference games against one of the fellow big Power 5 conference opponents. So for example, it would be eight games in conference. Then they would play Alabama at home. And then they would play, let's say, Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt. And then they would have to play one non-Power 5 team. So let's say they chose Cincinnati. And then they had to play independent. So they choose Notre Dame. So on your schedule, not only do you have your Big Ten games, but you also have Alabama. You also have Vanderbilt. You also have Cincinnati. And you have Notre Dame. That schedule is insane. Is it a difficult schedule? Absolutely. But that's the point. All of those games are big games. Those games make your games against Penn State bigger, Michigan bigger, Indiana now bigger. 
all of those games become magnified. They're all big games now because they're all so important. Because whereas now you have teams like Alabama who before every big game, the week before schedules a cupcake or they have a bye week, they don't have that luxury anymore. Those cupcakes are gone. That bye week now is Indiana. Or Minnesota. Not saying they're not going to beat those teams, but it's tougher than playing Mercer or the Citadel. Or Jackson State. Do you understand what I'm saying? An example of a non-Power 5 team, let's use Cincinnati. They would play eight games in conference. Then again, they would play Ohio State. They would play, let's say, Oklahoma. They would play, let's say, Oregon. And then they would play Notre Dame. Now, some people might say, oh, why do they have to play the extra game against a power five? Because your conference itself is lesser. The Mountain West is a weaker conference than any one of the power five. So in order to make up for that at the end of the year, when it comes down to drawing comparisons, so you can't be looked at as lesser because, oh, you beat up on your own conference. You have that extra non-conference game against a power five to say, but look what we did against them. But if you also have expanded the playoff to eight teams, well, then a two-loss Cincinnati could get in, right? A three-loss, I don't know, Oklahoma, if their losses were to Ohio State, Alabama, and Auburn, like, The regular season becomes magnified and becomes must-see TV every single Saturday. You can have a noon game where you have Ohio State and Cincinnati. You have a 3.30 game where you have Clemson versus Notre Dame. Then you have a 7.30 game where you have Alabama versus Penn State. And then you have a 10.30 game where you have Oregon versus uh, Mississippi State or something. That's your Saturday. That's a Saturday in September. Each week, those games are going to be incredible games. No more neutral field. If you're Alabama, you can't play Miami on a neutral field. You have to go to Miami. You can't play Oregon on the neutral field. You have to go to Oregon. And it alternates. You play one at home, one away, and you get to, you know, you guys get to negotiate or whatever. You guys figure it out who's home and who's away. But if this year Ohio State goes to Alabama in four years, Alabama's coming to Ohio State. Fans will be excited. And I know some people are probably thinking, well, if they all play during the regular season, then what's the excitement for the playoff? Do the teams not all play each other in the NFL? Is the NFL playoffs, do the ratings go down because we've already seen these two teams play? No. No, there's more interest at the playoffs now. In 2007, Cowboys beat the Giants two times during the regular season. They played again in the divisional round. The ratings were still sky high and everyone was saying, can they beat them a third time? People aren't going to be less interested in watching Alabama play Ohio State because they played in the regular season already. Whoever lost that game, they're going to wonder, how, how did they come back now? I'm telling you, man, this is, this is a foolproof way to improve. And then if you're an independent, well, your road to get there is really tough. Really tough. But that'll either encourage you to join a conference 
or stay independent and just say, hey, we're independent, so we have a lot more to prove because we can schedule whoever we want. Because, again, the conference games, whether you're a Power 5 or a non-Power 5, those conference games are non-negotiable. You have to play eight of them. So if the ACC is just a really beat-up conference and they're just having a down year, you play eight games against them, you don't have no choice. So we can't judge you off of that. But you have these other big games that we can now look at and say, in totality, are you just beating up bad conference opponents or are you really that good? What happens when you play against the big boys? You immediately make the regular season be important and not because you can't lose a game or else you're out of the playoff. No, 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 no. It's important because now it's about football. Now it's about pride. Now it's about me versus you. Neither one of us want to lose because we want those bragging rights. Now it means something. Now you have those night games where they're massive games where you have the SEC versus the Pac-12. You have the Big 12 versus the Big 10. You have the ACC versus the SEC. You have all these matchups. And those Saturday night games, oh my God. Can you imagine Alabama on the road in Oregon? That crowd going crazy there? Be something to see. Be something to see, man. And I think that's what you got to do. I think it's fair because everyone's playing eight conference games. There's a conference championship, so there's no more of this. But they didn't even win their conference championship. Level playing field. Everyone has the same opportunity to get to the conference championship. You both playing two power five opponents. So your win-loss there can be judged the same. You play two, I play two. Come on now. Even if you say one really tough and one lesser, you can go from the top and the bottom. Fine. I, I, we, can, we can figure those details out. And then we're both playing against, you know, a non-Power 5 conference team. So we're both getting that in and we're both playing an independent. We're both essentially having the same schedule. Now, from year to year, let's because you might schedule, you know, Auburn. For four years from now, you get Auburn again. But in four years, Auburn's having a down year. So it's valued a little less, but everyone, you know what I mean? Like everyone kind of is going to have that same thing. But there's is, it, is there even playing field to say we can judge them on something and we have a metric and a system of judging them that's equal across all the conferences? To me... That's the best thing college football could do. And how that's going to overtake the NFL, those games are going to be incredibly competitive. Recruiting is going to skyrocket for all of these teams. Because let's say now you go to Central Michigan. Well, you're paying, you're playing three games against the Power Five Conference. You're playing against those other teams, those big programs. You're going to be in a playoff. You're going to be on a national stage. So what are you... like? You might choose to go there and stay closer to home now. Those Alabama recruits who go to Alabama because they're going to get in the playoff every single year, they might choose to go somewhere else now because we're going to be in the playoff too. I don't necessarily have to just go to that the top team in college football. I can go to this team and we can have the same, the same opportunity to be on the same field. Recruiting, I think, gets more spread out. I think parity increases in college football. I think these games are become 
massively important. I think the regular season is heightened as far as interest and entertainment. You're going to have close games. People are going to be betting and gambling on the games because you know they're going to be close now. Right now, it's hard to gamble on college football because the games are so high scoring. Some of the scores are so varied. Like, if you want to bet the spread, you're betting a 40-point spread. Like, what? You start having the schedule come together. Now you're betting on maybe a seven game, maybe a seven point, maybe a 10 point will be the highest spread. Right. And that's what you have. And that's the difference. That's the difference in it. And now the NFL fans are going to come looking like, huh. This like Saturdays you're going to be watching and the energy in those stadiums is like a Super Bowl every week. And you're gonna, and as a fan, you're just gonna watch it, and you're gonna love it, and it's gonna be amazing. And that's just all there is, man. That's just my opinion. That's I, I feel that way. I believe that. I believe wholeheartedly that that can work. That is a foolproof system. That is a fair system where everybody knows what they gotta do. And if you're an independent and you think it's unfair, you gotta play six Power Five opponents. Hey, join a conference. Join a non-Power 5 conference. Join a Power 5 conference. The more, the merrier. And your and your your playoffs is expanded, so your playoff season is a little bit longer. You have an extra two weeks. Come on, man. It's going to be amazing to watch as a fan. And isn't that what it's about? Isn't it about us? I'm just saying, man. It could work. So that's my time, man. Thank you again for, for joining me. I hope I was able to, to give you a little a little reprieve from your from your day to day. Give you a little break, a little something to chatter about. Go back to your friends and talk about. Listen, y'all probably want some projections, right? Or some predictions. Predictions. Oh, excuse me, I can't even speak. I'm so excited about this college football revelation. Yo, y'all need to tag that man. Share it with people. Share it with the, the college football experts and, and ESPN and all of them. I'm telling you, this is gonna work. Uh, predictions: Ohio State wins big, uh, probably by a 35-40 point victory. Uh, Cowboys beat the Eagles by 10. Uh, anything else worth? Anything else worth talking about? Oh, you know what? Here's a prediction for you. Here's a prediction. I got Wisconsin beating Notre Dame, and here is a prediction of all predictions: Florida State loses again and goes to 0-4. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. This has been Sometimes I'll Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris. Thank you for listening. I'll see y'all next week.